1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 through 26 will be our opening text. Scripture reads, Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you so that the approved among you may be recognized. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not really to eat the Master's Supper, for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one person is hungry while another is drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in, or do you look down on the assembly of Yahweh, or the congregation of Elohim, and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Master what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. The Master Yeshua took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Master's death until he comes. And Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. Around this time last year, I began teaching a series of lessons on the Passover. And we went through Exodus chapter 12 in about four sermons, four teaching lessons. And it's important that we do this from time to time in order to bring topics to our remembrance lest at any time we let them slip. Sometimes we may study on something for a lengthy period of time, but then we go years without looking at that subject again, and something comes along and it damages our way of thinking on that particular subject. Why? Because we've not went back to our remembrance. Peter says in both of his epistles that it's a good thing and that he wants to stir up their minds by way of reminder so let us remember why we do things the way that we do, why we believe things the way that we believe them. This year I'd like to do something similar to what I did last year with the Passover. I'd like to do something similar with the Master's Supper. The supper that our Master instituted the night before he was betrayed. The supper in which we remember his body that was broken for us and we remember his blood that was shed for us. As he instituted it, he told his disciples, this do in remembrance of me. And as our opening text showed in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul passed on to the Corinthian assembly what he received from the Master. That's in verse 23. And that was the practice of the memorial supper. And in verse 26 of this chapter, the Apostle says, look at it again, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Master's death until He comes. This is something that we will continue to do until He comes. And He comes there is talking about His second coming, obviously not His first. In other words, verse 26 teaches that we are proclaiming through partaking in this practice that we believe in the atoning power of the death of Yeshua the Messiah. That's what we're saying when we partake of this each and every time. So there are many, many points that we can center in on when it comes to the Master's Supper, and many important points, and I would like to just center in on one point in this lesson, 
and we'll get to others in the coming weeks, probably teach on different aspects of this all the way up until we partake in the supper again. But the point in this lesson today is this. What does it mean to examine oneself? What does it mean to examine oneself? Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 34. Let's read that and then we'll go over it. 1 Corinthians 11, 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Master in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Master. So a man should examine himself, and in this way he should eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Master, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Jump back up to verse 27 where we just started. Verse 27 again says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Master in an unworthy way, will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Master. So what does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? Does this mean that you should be without sin in order to partake in the Master's Supper? Does it mean that you have to have everything worked out in your life? Does it mean that you have no areas to improve upon and then you take it? Should only those people who are walking perfectly partake of the Master's Supper? Well, let me ask you, do you actually know any person in your life right now who is sinless? Do you know of anyone in your life who doesn't have room for improvement in serving Yahweh or following in Yeshua's footsteps? I don't. I actually think if we ever get to a point where we think that there's no more room for improvement, that something's wrong. Paul was not saying that you need to be walking in perfection in order to partake of the Master's Supper. That wasn't his point. And that's what I want to talk about in this lesson. So what does eating and drinking in an unworthy manner look like? Well, I believe that the text explains that for us. Look back at verses 17 through 22. We'll go through them one by one. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 says this, Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. That would be bad to get that in a letter from the apostle, wouldn't it? Here I am, what you'd call the pastor of this congregation, and I get a letter from an apostle, and I open it up, and I read, Now in the following instruction, Brother Matthew, I don't praise you, for you come together not for the better, but for the worse. That would make me feel terrible. But that's what he wrote to the Corinthian assembly. I want you to notice that the apostle is giving them a word of rebuke in this area. He's rebuking that congregation. He says that what he's about to write is not to praise them because they're coming together, but it's for the worse. It's making things worse. It's not making things better. And in this context, their coming together was a bad thing. It wasn't a good thing. Verse 18 and 19 says this, For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church or a congregation, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you so that those who are approved 
may be recognized among you. Here Paul writes about divisions among the church body. And his point in verse 19 is that in the big scheme of things, divisions or factions help everyone recognize those who are approved. And then he says in verse 20 and 21, Therefore when you come together, it is not really to eat the Master's Supper. For at the meal each one eats his own supper ahead of others, so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Now here we begin to see the unworthy manner in which they were eating and drinking. The church would come together when it was time to eat the Master's Supper, but it wasn't really the Master's Supper as it was intended to be. Do you see that? It was, but it wasn't. When you abuse something holy, you make it unholy or unworthy. So they were coming together to eat the Master's Supper, but they were doing it in an unworthy manner. And therefore it disqualified that service from actually being what it was intended to be. It ceased to be the proper Master's Supper. And it appears from the text that what was happening is that some of the people were showing up at the supper and eating all of the bread. It says one is hungry. In other words, there's some people that's gorging on the bread and other people were getting drunk on the wine. And that's why in verse 22, Paul says this, Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of the Almighty and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. Paul's point here is to rebuke the Corinthian assembly by rhetorically asking them this question. Don't you all have houses where you eat and drink your full? Don't you do that at your home? In other words, when you're at your homes, you eat and drink to satisfy your body, your fleshly desire. But that's not what the Master's Supper was designed for. It wasn't designed for us to come and to eat our fill or drink our fill, to gorge on bread or get drunk on wine. That's not what the Master's Supper was designed for. It was instituted by Yeshua to remember or memorialize His death. It's a ceremony. Don't be afraid of the word ceremony. But that's what it is. It's, it's a righteous occurrence on Yahweh's calendar. And so the actions here that we're reading about in 1 Corinthians 11, they receive a stern rebuke from Apostle Paul. He says there, in what you are doing, I do not praise you. I can't praise you in this because you have totally turned what this was meant to be. You've turned it on its head. And remember, he already told them they weren't even really keeping it when they did it like they were doing. Now look at verse 27 again. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Master in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Master. Now, if you go from verse 22 to verse 27, you should see the correlation here. And it's not that I'm trying to skip 23 through 26. That's just where Paul tells you about the institution and how it's supposed to take place. But in 22, he ends, I do not praise you for this. And in 27, he talks about eating and drinking in an unworthy way. And you're sinning against the body and the blood of the Messiah. The unworthy manner that Paul speaks of is the one that he just finished rebuking 
the Corinthian assembly in verses 17 for 22 or 17 through 22 of the same chapter. When you eat and drink the supper like the Corinthians were doing it, you're sinning against the body and blood of Yeshua. Now, look with me at the next two verses, verses 28 through 29. So a man should examine himself, and in this way he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, in verse 28 we're told to examine ourselves, but examine yourself in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28 doesn't mean make sure that you're a perfect saint. That's not what it means. If that's what it meant, none of us will be worthy to take the supper. What it means is this. You examine the way in which you are partaking in that ceremony. Are you coming to the meal for the bread because you're hungry and you need to eat? (laughs) And you eat all the bread and everybody else gets none. So that sounds kind of silly, but that's what was happening in 1 Corinthians 11 according to Paul's letter. Are you coming to the meal, to the supper, to get your fill of the wine? If this is your intention in coming to the supper and you've forgotten what it's about and why it was instituted and what it memorializes and you gorge on bread and you're drunk on the wine, you're sinning against the body and blood of the Master. Not because the wine is actual blood or the bread is actual body, but it's because those emblems represent Yeshua's body and blood on that night when he was betrayed. He instituted that. And so we don't want to sin against the body and blood of the Master. And this is why over the years I've had this happen just a few times, but this is why I do not allow, and I think I need to do this as the minister or as the pastor here, I don't allow any more bread or wine to be eaten or drank after the Master's Supper service is over and people are getting ready to leave the congregation. Uh, Over the years I've had a few people, not necessarily in a bad way, but I've had a few people come up and, want to grab another piece of bread or maybe a cup or cups of wine. I don't know. (laughs) But I don't allow that because I don't want to come anywhere close to what the Corinthians had turned the supper into. Nowhere even close. Remember, Paul chastised the Corinthians for gorging on bread and getting drunk on wine because the meal is one of memorial or remembrance not one where you come to fulfill a craving that you have. Don't you have houses to do that in? Yes, the answer is yes, you do. So do that there. And then when verse 29 speaks of eating or drinking without recognizing the body, it could be talking about the body of the master, which the bread represents. He just mentioned that in verse 27. Or it could be talking about the body of believers. There's always a possibility. Sometimes we... We wonder which one is it talking about, and we forget that it could be talking about both. It could be. Verse 29 speaks of eating or drinking without recognizing the body, and it could be both the body of the Master that is broken for you in the supper, or the body of believers. Either way, the point is that when you take the supper in an unworthy manner, you aren't recognizing either body. You're not holding in high esteem the body of Yeshua the Messiah, And you're not holding in high esteem your brothers and your sisters in the congregation because you're using that supper for your own personal craving and hunger and and thirst for wine. Look at verse 30. In verse 30 it says, This is why many are sick and ill 
among you, and many have fallen asleep. Now, if that doesn't show you the importance of all of this, and I don't know what will, that is a passage of Scripture that I've often been somewhat perplexed by. But it says that, doesn't it? It says that one of the reasons that the people in the Corinthian church were sick or ill, or some of them had fallen asleep, and that's a euphemism for they had died, is because they were partaking in the Master's Supper in an unworthy manner. So in this case, in verse 30, sin and sickness were hand in hand. I don't believe that sin and sickness always goes together. There are many times in the Scriptures where people could get bad sick or go through a tremendous trial, and it has nothing to do with sin being in their life. I remember there was some friends, quote-unquote, of Job that tried to say that Job had something in his life that he needed to repent about. And that's why all this was happening to him. When that was not the case, right? It was not the case at all. But in this case, we don't want to ignore the fact that there were people in this church that were sick, ill, and some had even died because they were eating the supper in an unworthy manner. So then we come to verses 31 through 33, and it says this, If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. In other words, if we took the time to actually think about what we were doing, and we did it orderly and decently, we wouldn't have to be judged with sickness or illness or sometimes even death. Verse 32, but when we are judged, and this is a good part, we are disciplined by the Master so that we may not be condemned with the world. This is talking about true born-again believers, blood-bought believers in the faith. Yahweh disciplines His children. Just like a good father on the earth disciplines His children. If we are without discipline, the Scripture says, then we're fatherless. We're without a father. So we should not despise the chastisement of the discipline of Yahweh. There are times when we could be a born-again, faith-filled believer in the Messiah, get off on the wrong track, Yahweh disciplines us and chastises us to bring us back into the fold so that we're not fully and completely condemned with the world. You see what I'm saying right there? So we shouldn't despise the discipline of Yahweh. No discipline for the present time seems joyous. None. My dad used to tell me often when he would spank me, and I got him a lot when I was little, and I'm thankful now. I understand now why he did it. I'm very thankful for the spankings that I got. But he would tell me, Son, I do this because I love you. And my brain, because it wasn't fully developed at that time, I'm thinking there's no way that you could be doing this because you love me. Because I got whooped hard when I was a little boy. But I understand now why he did that. It was because he loved me. No discipline seemed joyous for the present time, but he was following the wise writings of Solomon in Proverbs where he says, your son surely will not die when you spank him with a rod of correction, and that if you spare the rod, you will spoil your your son, and that he needs to be disciplined so he doesn't just grow up and be a menace to society, right? Well, we believe in that, especially if we were raised in the old-fashioned South 
We believe in good old spankings behind the woodshed, right? Because it trains children up and, and teaches them right from wrong and disciplines them. But yet when it comes to our discipline as children of Yahweh, we don't want to undergo it. We don't want to go through what Yahweh puts us through to refine us through His fire. We get off track, Yahweh disciplines us, and it doesn't seem joyous. And we forget about the very reason why we are disciplining our human children. And that should correlate with the way that Yahweh disciplines us as His children. It should. It should. And we should not despise the chastening of Yahweh. Verse 32 again says, When we're disciplined by the Master, it's so that we won't be condemned with the world. The problem would be is if you get off track and you don't receive discipline. That would be the problem. And I believe personally that that is a big way how Yahweh loved Jacob and hated Esau. If you look at the life of Jacob, he went through a lot of very tough times. And I think it was the discipline of Yahweh. But Esau, Yahweh just kind of let go. Didn't discipline him. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have loved less. I passed over. I think that's a big thing in the life of Jacob and Esau. We need to be thankful if we're like Jacob, though, so that we won't be condemned completely with the world. I hope I'm making myself clear. Maybe I spent a little bit too much time on that. Verse 33. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So if we took the time to make sure we did things properly, we wouldn't have to worry about being struck with illness or death as judgment. Praise be to Yahweh for His discipline. But in verse 33, he says, when you come together to eat, and what is, what is he talking about? Eat what? Well, it should be obvious. He's talking about eating the Master's Supper. Paul is focusing on eating the supper properly and orderly and not chaotically. That's why he says in verse 33, wait for one another. Remember back in 17 through 22? He said, you get to the supper... One's hungry, another's drunk, because some, everybody's going after the bread all of a sudden. Everybody's going after the wine, turning it up. He says, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Let it be done decently and orderly. Verse 34, if anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment, and I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. Now, I don't believe in verse 34 that Paul is instructing the hungry person to just stay home and not come to the supper. I think what he's saying is this. If you're hungry, if you're a hungry brother, then go ahead and eat at home so that when you get to the Master's Supper, you will not go haywire with the bread and with the wine. That's what verse 34 means. If anyone's hungry, eat at home so that when you come together, you won't be condemned. You won't do it in an unworthy manner. So this is what I believe is meant by examining yourself in 1 Corinthians 11. Examining yourself doesn't mean that you have to be sinless. Examining yourself doesn't mean that you've got all your problems ironed out. As a matter of fact, when you take the supper, you know what you're admitting? You're admitting that you don't have all your problems ironed out. You're admitting that you need the body and the blood of Yeshua for your justification. Remember that Yeshua said, This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. The supper is for us who cannot save ourselves. And if you're anything like me, you can't. You can't save yourself. When we examine ourselves in this manner, we all find that we fall short of Yahweh's glory. 
We all find that we have areas that need improvement. And improve, we need to do. And study, we need to do. And strive, we need to do. But far be it that we would ever think that we're doing anything apart from the grace and the mercy of Yahweh. Far be it that we would ever take pride or boast as though we have not received this such great salvation. Far be it that we would ever be of that mindset. And we would ever say, look at me, Yahweh. When Yahweh's Word says through the prophet Jeremiah and through the Apostle Paul of the New Testament that he that boasteth, let him not boast in the riches that he has or in the deeds that he does, but let him that boasts boast in this, that he knows Yahweh. That Yahweh is the King of his life. Boast in that. If you want to boast in anything before anyone... You, you stand up and you look them in the eye and you say, this is who I am. I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing to give. My righteousness is filthy rags. I'm trusting in the righteousness of another to save me from my sins. Let he that boasts, boast in Almighty Yahweh. Far be it that we would ever get haughty or high-minded. The supper is for us who cannot save ourselves. We're at meeting when we take the supper that I don't have everything figured out. I don't have everything ironed out. I don't have all the T's crossed. I don't have all the I's dotted. I don't know everything that there is to know. I don't have perfect knowledge. I don't have perfect prophecy. I don't have perfect gifts. And I need your help. And Yahweh, you saved my soul. You sent your Son to live a perfect life. Brothers and sisters, if you could do it on your own, Yahweh would have never sent His Son for you. Never. Never. We all find that we fall short. We all find that we have areas that need improvement. We are all trusting in the merits of Yeshua for salvation. And we come together as a body of believers in the Messiah. Yes, we are believers in the Messiah. Yes, we're saints. You don't have to die to be a saint. People like the term Christian now. I'm not adverse to that term if it's understood properly. But the, the most used word in the New Testament of believers in the Messiah is saint. Saints. It's used over 60 times. We're saints. But at the same time, we are all still sinners saved by grace. We are. Sister Lisa, as you gave your testimony and you talked about bitterness and all that rising up, don't feel alone. I struggle with the same things. I struggle with the same things. And it breaks my heart when I get bitter towards somebody. And it breaks my heart when I have pride rise up in me. And every day I have to repent of my faults and my sins. Every day. I have to have a penitent heart. Don't feel alone, sister. I'm running that race right with you. The thing about it is, is this. Don't ever get to a point where you cease to admit that. And you cease to confess that. And you feel like you don't have to repent. And you feel like you don't have to drop to your knees and cry out to Yahweh and say, Save me. Save me. Save me, Father. Don't ever feel that way. Because whenever you get to that point and you think that you can go days without being penitent or go days without being repentant or go days without thanking Yahweh for the gift of His Son, 
then you have reached a point that you do not need to be at. Because in all likelihood, you're committing sin in your life that you're not confessing and you're not trying to work on. And you've forgotten about it. We need to be in a state where we constantly want to work on ourselves and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we also need to believe the very next verse that nobody ever quotes in Philippians. Right after it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the very next verse says, for it is Yahweh that worketh in you both to will according to His good pleasure. So it's not Matthew working anyhow when I do something good. The supper is for us that need salvation, that need the broken body of Yeshua, that need the shed blood of Yeshua. That's what the Master's Supper is for. For us. Sinners saved by grace. We're a people who apart from mercy and grace would be doomed. We would be doomed. We would be all condemned apart from His mercy and His grace. And so this year, as a believer in Yeshua, when you partake of the Supper, remember that in and of yourself, you're unworthy. But you being unworthy in and of yourself does not mean that when you partake in the supper, that that's unworthy. doesn't mean that. What it means is, is when you get here, make sure you've examined how to do it. And don't do it out of order. And be reverent. It's the body and blood of Yeshua we're talking about. And recognize that it's the same night that He did it many years ago. And we do it in remembrance of Him. Remember that Yeshua's body and blood had to be broken and shed for you so that the penalty for your sin would be paid. And that penalty is to be cursed and to die. But it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon the tree. And He became a curse for us. So that we would not have to suffer that penalty. Aren't you thankful for that? I think about Yeshua's death, and I think often about that it should have been me. Because I'm the one that sinned. I'm the one that should have hung on the cross in agony and defeat. Because I'm the one that committed sin. But thanks be to Almighty Yahweh the Father that He accepts Yeshua as the substitute sacrifice in my place who was the antitype of all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament. The animals upon which They were a substitute. It's beautiful. He paid the penalty for us. We couldn't save ourselves. That's why we're eating and that's why we're drinking the Master's Supper. And we need to make sure that we do examine ourselves and not do it in an unworthy manner. And each and every day, pray that Yahweh continues to bless us and give us a heart of repentance and cause us to want to do better And help us to have bigger hearts and kinder spirits and better attitudes and more love for His law because we can't do it on our own. How many want to love His law? I wrote a book called Learning to Love His Law because most people don't. I want to love His law, but I know that left to myself, I would never love it. So I pray every day, even if it's just a short sentence, Yahweh, today, help me to love your law. And when I fall short, I repent and I say, 
Don't use it as an excuse to continue. I repent and I say, Father, I'm back up. Help me again. I don't want to do it again. The Master's Supper is for us who fall short. Let us remember that. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. We'll continue this series next week on another aspect of the Supper. Heavenly Father, I love You, I thank You, and I praise You. And I worship You, Father. Thank You for another Sabbath day. Thank You for another time of fellowship with the body of believers. It is truly good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together. Father, let us remember Your Son's body and blood. Let us, Father Yahweh, Approach it reverently and take heed in observing that ceremony that you instituted through him. Thank you for a good understanding. Help us, Father Yahweh, where we do not understand. Help me, Yahweh, Father, where I don't understand. Thank you, Father Yahweh, for the commandments that we do keep. Help us for the ones that we do not. Continue to work on our hearts and continue to work in our minds. Let us not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing good. But let us keep on the firing line. Continue to fight this good fight of faith for your son. It's through him I pray. Amen.